Hi everyone, you're listening to the Health and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and you can find me on naturopathnsw.com.au. These podcasts will feature discussions on various health conditions, health tips, and nutrition from a naturopathic perspective. Sometimes it's just me, sometimes I'm interviewing guests. All the time, I hope to share with you information on health and well-being with the aim to empower and educate. Please remember that all information is general and not a specific recommendation that replaces consulting with a practitioner. Please talk to your healthcare practitioner before undertaking any changes to your treatment regime. Medicinal mushrooms are all the rage in the natural medicine world at the moment and I'm a pretty big fan of mushrooms myself. I remember when I was at university, one of my first nutrition assignments I ever did was a video about the nutrition content of mushrooms and their health properties. It was pretty funny. I put some little googly eyes on the mushrooms and I made them dance around and talk about how good they were. I forced my boyfriend, who is now my husband, to do one of the voiceovers too. Fast forward to now and not only do I still encourage my patients to eat mushrooms but I also use them in clinic as medicinal extracts, powders and also sometimes liquid extracts. My most used mushroom extracts are reishi and lion's mane but there are many other mushrooms which will get covered in this podcast today. So given how much I like mushrooms, I'm pretty excited to have with me today Jeff Chilton, who is an expert in the world of medicinal mushrooms. He's joining me all the way from California. Jeff was raised in Pacific Northwest and studied ethnomycology at the University of Washington in the late 60s and started working on a commercial mushroom farm in Olympia, Washington in 1973. During the next 10 years, he became the production manager responsible for the cultivation of over 2 million pounds of agaricus mushrooms per year and was also involved in the research and development of shiitake, oyster and anoki mushrooms which resulted in the earliest US fresh shiitake sales in 1978. In the late 70s, he was a founder of Mycomedia, which held four mushroom conferences in the Pacific Northwest. These educational conferences brought together educators and experts in mushroom identification, ethnomycology and mushroom cultivation. During this period, Jeff co-authored the highly acclaimed book, The Mushroom Cultivator, which was published in 1983. In the 1980s, he operated a mushroom spawn business and in 1989 he started Namex, a business that introduced medicinal mushrooms to the US nutritional supplement industry. He travelled extensively in China during the 1990s, attending conferences and visiting research facilities and mushroom farms. In 1997, he organised the first organic mushroom production seminar in China. Jeff's company Namex was the first to offer a complete line of certified organic mushroom extracts to the US nutritional supplement industry. Namex extracts are used by many supplement companies and they're generally noted for their high quality based on scientific analysis of the active compounds. So thanks so much for joining me, Jeff. How's the weather over there? Well, actually, you know, we have a sunny day today and that's something that we uh, feel is very important. When the sun comes out here, we are overjoyed because this is the rain country here, unlike Australia, it's so wet and moist. Yes, whereas here we're having completely the opposite situation of no no rain and there's lots of drought going on. Although at the uh, moment, for us, the weather's really up and down. Oh, oh, oh. well, we're we're moving into fall and we've we've had our summer here, which is really the best time in this part of the world. I'm in British Columbia, so the summer was uh, quite nice, uh, but. 
in the fall, we start to see the rains, the temperature goes down a little bit. However, what that does mean is it's mushroom season. Yes, that's good. <laughs> so do, do you do you personally go out foraging for mushrooms? Oh yeah, yeah, I do and and I have been foraging for mushrooms since uh, since the 1970s actually uh, and and even before when I was younger and and I really enjoy it. You know, one of the things about wild mushroom hunt, hunting is it's like a treasure hunt. Mm. So when you go out for one, you get to take a very nice walk through the woods. You get fresh air. You get to feel the the natural environment. It's right underfoot. Uh, but also, if you happen to find a choice edible wild mushroom, that's the treasure. Yeah, that's a bonus. Yeah, the the walk is the the main thing, and then the the mushroom is the bonus. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And and we have some amazing forests here, Allison. They're just, you know, like I, I where I live right now, I'm in a, a first growth forest. This is a virgin forest here. I have some trees on my property that are uh, close to 200 feet tall. That would be like uh, 65 meters tall. Oh my they're goodness. <laughs> they're, trees that are, they're, they're trees that have been there for um, maybe 500 years. They're, they're amazing trees. It's like, and I have a dozen or so of these trees on my property. It's it's just a beautiful environment here. What sort of trees are they? I've got uh, cedar trees. Uh, we also have trees here called uh, Sitka spruce, which are really uh, big, beautiful, straight trees. And then we also have some what are called hemlock trees. They're all what we would also term an evergreen tree. So they, they don't have leaves, they just have uh, needles, so they're always green. And, and that's kind of what this area is like, it's always green. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, at the moment I have a cherry blossom in my front yard that's oh. currently sprinkling its little flowers everywhere. And uh, in the, my front and backyard I've got a, a gum tree. And so gum trees do get pretty tall, um, but they... <laughs> They also drop a lot of leaves at this time. So Right, mm. right, right. Yeah, I actually experienced some of the gum trees when I was in Australia in uh, December of last year. So I got my first look at the gum trees, which are, are, are pretty much uh, all over in uh, Australia. They're really beautiful. Mm, mm. And we've got a few different varieties of them. And some of them you really wouldn't want in your backyard because they can drop these big limbs without warning and can really injure you if they fall on you. Yes, I think actually my girlfriend's uh, had a, uh, a limb or a tree come down right on her house uh, a few years back. Yes. Yeah, my the gum trees are too close to my house, but I think they got planted, you know, by someone just being very naive about how big they'd actually get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never expect them to grow that big when you plant them. No, and so quickly too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, we're not talking about trees, are we? We're talking about mushrooms. <laughs> In, indeed we are, yes. Yeah. So let's start with a pretty basic question. What is a mushroom? Well, the mushroom, the mushroom itself, what we see when we're out walking in the woods, that's actually the what we could call the fruiting body of a fungal organism. And the fungal organism itself, the vegetative body is underground. It's a 
network of very fine filaments and those fine filaments are called a mycelium so they're out there underground and and they're they're growing and uh, consuming organic matter they're breaking it down into ultimately humus they're part of a whole group of different organisms there's fungi there's bacteria and yeasts all working together to break down organic matter into soil ultimately and each one's got a role to play but the mycelium is there it is breaking down organic matter it's amassing nutrients and when when conditions are right it will this this mycelium network will produce a mushroom and then the mushroom as it matures and the mushroom will only be there for maybe a couple of weeks uh, maybe three weeks and then it will just uh, decompose back into the ground whereas the mycelium is out there and it can actually be perennial so the mycelium this is one of the things about mushroom hunting maybe you you know this but uh, mushroom hunters never reveal where they've found their mushrooms because mushrooms will keep coming back at that same location every year uh-huh. as long as there's as long as there's more food to eat so so this mycelium produces the mushroom the mushroom matures it will produce spores the spores fall down and at some point they will germinate and start the whole cycle over again so the mushroom is actually the the uh, what we will see the manifestation of this uh, mycelial network. Mm. So the the mycelium is actually much much bigger than the mushroom itself. Can be yes indeed the mycelium can uh, can be uh, traveling around through the ground for uh, miles. It uh, it all just depends on whether it finds new nutrients. As long as they're a nutrient source, this mycelium will will grow and propagate. If it runs out of nutrients, which does happen, the mycelium will itself die and it will get consumed by other organisms. So it's not uh, eternal, but uh, it does, it is there and will produce mushrooms. And, And, you know, interestingly enough, that mycelium is what, as a mushroom grower, I would use to grow mushrooms. So mushrooms, when you grow mushrooms, you don't use spores and you don't have and mushrooms don't have seeds so the way you would grow mushrooms is you'd take this live mycelium and you would grow it out on some sterile material and that would then be used to inoculate let's say you want to inoculate a compost or you want to inoculate some uh, wood logs or some sawdust that live mycelium is what we would use as our seed oh, fascinating yeah, I, I find mycelium so interesting because, um, it, like, over the time I've been interested in mushrooms, I've looked into it a little bit and I've found some really interesting facts. I heard um, a mycologist named Paul Stamet describe it as the Earth's natural internet, and that it was used as a communication network for fungi. Um, is that is that true that they they actually talk to each other? Well, uh, actually, no, it's not true. <laughs> and and here's the thing it's it's an interesting speculation but the fact of the matter is is that the two different mushroom species they do not communicate because essentially when the mycelium of those mushrooms uh get uh, reach each other there is what is called a, a zone of inhibition if they came together to where they were actually fusing and formed a a a bigger network they would be the same species. So that's the difference. That's one of the things about a species of mushrooms is that is that each species is is very separate. And unless it can mate with 
another mycelium, those two myceliums will not come together. They cannot come together. That's that's basically one of the one of the. It's, it's just like trying to to uh, grow two different uh, plants. Let's say to hybridize them. Uh, some will hybridize, some will not. But basically, two different mushroom species will not come together. So so the idea of a mushroom of a of a um, an internet of mycelium. You know, you know. Here's how I like to look at it. I, I mean, think about it for a second. Um, where I live, we've got just as much tree root under the ground as we do fungal mycelium, and we have tree roots that go forever, one tree after the other. Forests of intertwined roots. I, I just think that, in general. I think nature and I think what's under the ground, whether it be the mycelium, the bacteria, all of these different organisms, microorganisms, plants, I think they all communicate uh, without being a fungal uh, internet. I think there, there is a much bigger, um, uh, let's just say a bigger network going on here. So I think that communication is happening we, you know, we kind of think of, oh, unless unless there's a, uh, a word going out there and then somebody on the other end um, hears it and then calls us back or something like that, we think, oh, yeah, there's no communication going on. I think there's lots of communication going on out there in many, many different ways. And and so um, that's how I look at it. I look at it as a very large ecosystem and fungi and uh, mushrooms and their mycelium are part of that. Mm, but it's just not communication as we know it. That's correct. I, I mean, we're, you know, that's one of the things we have to be very careful about, and that is projecting ourselves onto the natural world and thinking that everything kind of works according to our uh, view of it. And, mm. and, and let's face it, Allison, our, our view of the world is pretty much designed by our culture and what they teach us at school. And so in a way, we're and there's so many different cultures with so many different views of the world you just have to look at it and say uh the world views that people have is culturally specific and and who's to say that my view of the world is any different than or, or better or or um in some way superior to somebody's worldview that's halfway around the world speaks a different language is is uh, living in a a mud hut and you know what i mean is a hunter gatherer or something like that there we really have to be careful about uh, how we view that especially when it comes to giving a purpose to things you know what i mean yes you know i totally do it's very very wise words i think that we shouldn't project on other people in any instance and we shouldn't project on other things um but i mean it it is part of human nature to try and understand things by trying to relate to it of course but no, very, very oh, wise. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Every. I mean, that's 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 just who we are, right? And it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not necessarily reality. I mean, reality is a real kind of uh, elastic concept, and and uh, you know, I think we all, every culture, lives in its own matrix. And, and uh, is that matrix true reality? No, probably not. <laughs> so, but it but it, it works, and it's very functional for that cultural culture in how it needs to to uh, relate to its environment in order to survive. Mm, of course. So, okay, so we were talking about mycelium. 
yeah. um, and you were misbusting a few facts for me. So while, while, we're, <laughs> um, while we're on the topic of myth busting, is it true yes. that mushrooms are more closely related to humans than plants in their DNA? Well, well, you know what? This is this is interesting. I, I, I'm not sure of that uh, specifically, but but you know, mushrooms and and the fungal kingdom, the fungi, they uh, breathe much like we do. So they uh, breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide, which is like us, not like plants, which is do the opposite. So they do share some attributes with us and and yeah it could very well be that we share more dna with them with the fungi than uh with uh plants uh, the other thing of course that that is interesting that we have in common is that we have a storage carbohydrate called glycogen uh so do so do mushrooms they mm. also have glycogens plants have starch as their storage carbohydrate so that's a very very uh distinctive difference between fungi and plants and that's something that we can talk about in more detail too because it's it's really interesting uh, method to to use to actually do quality control of uh, medicinal mushroom products oh interesting yeah well I'll, I'll we can talk about that a little bit more later that'd be great sure sure yeah okay um so you, in your company, you use a lot of medicinal mushrooms. So how do they differ from mushrooms that most people know of? Well, first, first let me just say um, there are um, probably two dozen mushrooms that are cultivated for food. There's maybe, um, I don't know, let's just say two to three dozen uh, mushrooms, wild mushrooms that are utilized for food. So, so mushrooms are a really good food and, and a lot of people are going like really a mushroom well you well, yeah the the interesting part about it is that that nutritionists in the west they always considered mushrooms to be a non-food and the reason was because mushrooms did not have uh, any calories mushrooms are very low cal <laughs> so so back in the day um especially when i was getting into mushroom growing which was uh, i started out as a mushroom grower in 1973 worked as a, a commercial mushroom grower for 10 years i know mushrooms intimately in fact i i lived with mushrooms <laughs> literally <laughs> for, for 10 years i was living with them and uh um mushrooms are, are uh, have a, a good quality protein with uh, a good complement of essential amino acids they are uh, high in carbohydrates which and those carbohydrates are the kind of carbohydrates that we want they're trehalose they're mannitol they're carbohydrates that that break down slowly they're not they're not starchy carbohydrates um, so so mushrooms have that that really good um, food aspect to them and I, I tell people eat mushrooms put them into your diet the other thing about mushrooms is they're high in fiber Mm -hmm. And so they're a wonderful prebiotic. So, so eating mushrooms has uh, a number of different, very positive uh, aspects to it. And so I start out by encouraging people to eat mushrooms and put them in your diet. One of the first ones I'd say to put into your diet is a shiitake mushroom. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with shiitake mushrooms. It is a wonderful, very tasty mushroom it's got a great aroma a great flavor they grow them now they're you're, they're probably available in your area so yeah they are i i love them 
Oh, shiitakes. Ooh, got a plane going over. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That sounded like it was right in your front room. Yeah. It's, it has gotten pretty close a few times. One time it rattled off a light fitting. <laughs> <laughs> well, too bad it wasn't dropping mushrooms. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> So, 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 you know, and, and the interesting part about it is that certain of these edible mushrooms are also medicinal. And, and here's what's really interesting about mushrooms is that the cell wall of a mushroom is made up of what's called a beta-glucan. And the beta-glucan is what is the active compound in mushrooms. All mushrooms have these beta-glucans. Now, certain of the mushrooms are more medicinal than others, and that's because although they all share these beta-glucans, the beta-glucans are a little bit different with every mushroom. They, each one has a little bit different structure. So what that means is some mushrooms are, are edible and, and good for us from a food basis. Others are edible, good for us as a food basis, but also have uh, these high quality beta-glucans. And those beta-glucans are what give mushrooms their uh, immuno-stimulating properties. Okay. And there are a lot of mushrooms that are not so edible but are medicinal as well, like in terms of texture and palatability. Is, is that true? Is that correct? <laughs> yes, indeed. There, there are actually some mushrooms that are, are like wood, and, and that would be like a reishi mushroom or a chaga mushroom, and mm. there's a, a few others. And, and you know, um, early on in my uh, career, I was walking around a natural foods expo in Los Angeles. This was in 1990, and I had a reishi mushroom in my hand, and I was trying to introduce companies in in the health food space and saying, look, you need mushrooms in your product line, which was mostly green herbs, and everybody just looked at those reishi mushrooms and, and went, that's a piece of wood. What What is that? It can't possibly be medicinal. But uh, So that's that's very true. Some Some of these medicinal mushrooms are not edible mushrooms per se <laughs> yes of course um i i just wanted to sort of go off topic a little bit and just ask about do you know the how different mushrooms would have different mannitol content so for people with um fodmap intolerance are there some mushrooms that are better tolerated well i'm not familiar with this specifically what you're referring to other than i'd say yes mushrooms mannitol is one of the main carbohydrates in mushrooms and and you know whether or not um i mean as a food getting mannitol in the in the mushroom form i think is really is really a good way to to get mannitol i know mannitol you can also get it you know in a pure form and and i'm not really familiar too much with how people who use mannitol uh, um, take it in that sense, but mm. certainly mushrooms, uh, mannitol is one of the primary carbohydrates in mushrooms, and it's a, a slow-acting and slow-digesting carbohydrate that's uh, a really good carbohydrate. Well, for people with FODMAP intolerance, they actually have difficulty digesting the mannitol. Oh, and is that so, right? Okay. Yes, so it's a it's a type of that, that fructose that... Um, Type of that the type of that carbohydrate that people with FODMAP intolerance can't sort of get through those little um, junctions in the small intestine, and so then it passes through and ferments and causes gas and bloating um, and IBS type symptoms. Um, so mushrooms 
are generally for people with with this diagnosis of FODMAP intolerance off the menu. But I understand that there are actually some mushrooms that are much lower in mannitol content. And so while it's generally a beneficial prebiotic um, carbohydrate, it's it's for some people they would choose the lower mannitol content. That's yeah, that's that's really interesting. And, you know, Manitol, it's something that we don't normally measure, and, and we measure a lot of the different compounds in mushrooms. Manitol, I've always thought of as uh, more on the, the food side of things, and I've, I haven't been familiar with what you're talking about, which is really of great interest, and I'd love for you to send me a paper about it because I, I'd like to get a little more educated about it. And, and it may be, in fact, that uh, some of them are lower in mannitol and I know there must be some um, information out there about the mannitol content of the different mushrooms because we've only we've only uh, tested um, a few a few mushrooms for the mannitol content but not all of them okay so from my understanding shiitake mushrooms are something that is high high mannitol um, but dried shiitake mushrooms tend to be lower in in mannitol um, and things like enoki mushrooms um, and dried puccini and little, the little cans champignon mushrooms are actually a better option for people with with FODMAP intolerance. Huh. I, you know what? I, I That's something that should be investigated a little further because I don't know why drying would affect the mannitol content. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I, I don't understand how that. I mean, normally you dry something out, and and all it does is just remove the water and gives you a a better idea of the the profile of nutrients in that particular product. So so that'd be something definitely worth worth uh, investigating mm. to find that out. Uh, certainly, if you're prescribing, you know, anything like that for people, or whether they can eat mushrooms or not, and and uh, you know, it's interesting because. Because chaga is actually a mushroom that has been used traditionally for uh, uh, IB, uh, IBS, IB, yeah. yes, IBS, and and other sort of stomach problems. So so uh, I just wonder uh, maybe the profile. I, I, you know, chaga actually. What's interesting about chaga, Allison, is chaga is not a actual mushroom. Chaga is not even an actual mass of mycelium. Chaga is actually a tree canker, and it is mostly uh, uh, woody tissue with a with a certain with maybe 10 to 15 percent of mycelium in it but that's that's it's a very different uh, fungus and and manifestation in fact it's almost on the edge of not truly being a, a true fungus it's it's more uh, a canker is a really kind of a very different type of manifestation well there's a lot of planes going over today they are. They're very. They're very active. I think uh, your your young baby may end up being a pilot someday. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, some days I can have absolutely no planes going over, and some days there's a lot more. Okay. Well, we'll just ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what are some of the main uses of medicinal mushrooms? And let's um, you know list them again, just so we've got a bit of a refresher. Because I know we've mentioned a couple of them. Well, yeah, the, the main medicinal mushrooms I would say would be um, shiitake, maitake, uh, reishi, turkey tail, lion's mane, 
cordyceps and um, let's see what other ones may uh, poria is one uh, felinus is another so the, I, I would say there's about 10 specific species that that I consider to be the primary medicinal mushrooms because I actually have a book that's got 270 different mushrooms listed as being medicinal mm-hmm. but but you know, 270, where do you start? Um, so I just look at, I just look at the list that's been used in traditional Chinese medicine. And then I look at the science that has been, uh, uh, the scientific research regarding those each specific species. And if there's a strong body of scientific research that supports traditional use, then I, I look at that and say, okay, this is a primary medicinal mushroom. And that's what we would sell in our business. We sell about 10, 10 different species. Okay. And, and, and yeah, and what are some of the main main uses that well, people have for them? They all they all share one thing in common, and that is they're called biological response modifiers or uh, immunological potentiators. So what they will do is is these beta glucans. They will you'll um, take the mushrooms, and then the beta glucans will go down, and they will hit receptor sites in our uh, small intestine. And we have receptor sites down there specific to beta glucans, and when they—that's so interesting. (laughs) I know it really is. It's kind of like, why do we have these receptor sites? And and that that's to another area I think where some people talk about similarities uh, in terms of of uh, humans and fungi, and the fact that we we have these uh, actual receptor sites for fungal matter or Mm. beta glucans from fungi so they they hit those receptor sites and that will that will stimulate the production of uh, immune cells macrophages natural killer cells um so that's that that is really in my opinion the primary use of of uh, medicinal mushrooms that's what traditionally in uh, traditional chinese medicine that that's what they utilize them for a lot of times they utilize them for uh, when people are going through uh, a cancer treatment um, or people are just run down they uh, um, are having difficulty they lack energy that's that's one of the primary uses and i'd say that the, the main mushroom that i would put into that category the one that's i would consider to be the most powerful would be reishi mushroom mm-hmm. reishi reishi mushroom is uh, your primary immunological mushroom it not only has the beta glucans but it also has triterpenoids, which are other uh, different types of compounds, which also have immunological activity, as well as they also work uh, with uh, the liver in terms of um, increasing uh, liver capacity and in terms of uh, uh, dealing with toxins and so forth. So they're they're kind of a blood purifier for the liver, these triterpenoids. So, so reishi, primary immunological mushroom. Uh, the other one that's really good for that is uh, uh, turkey tail. Uh, turkey tail has been been actually turned into a a drug in Japan. They've got a product from turkey tail uh, mycelium, a pure mycelium, very refined product called PSK. Um, and turkey tail, in in and of itself, is a good uh, medicinal mushroom. Um, um, Maitake, shiitake also very mm-hmm. good in terms of just the overall immunological uh, effects that it has. The other one that uh, a lot of people are using these days for 
um, endurance is cordyceps, and cordyceps is uh, um, traditionally used as what they call the caterpillar fungus. It grows up around Tibet, and it has uh, it is a small little fruiting body that grows on a caterpillar, mm. and that caterpillar <laughs> fungus is wildcrafted and. Uh, believe it or not, it's one of the most expensive herbs in the world today uh, or recently. Really? Yeah, it's, it's like $20,000 a kilogram. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Now, now here's the what's interesting about cordyceps uh, is that um, we've just learned how to grow cordyceps. So now all the cordyceps that uh, we sell are actual cordyceps fruiting bodies not produced on a on a caterpillar but produced on a different type of substrate that does not have an insect involved and and when it's harvested it is there's no bug there at all it's just the pure cordyceps itself and that's called cordyceps militaris and it's one of the most beautiful little funguses that you've ever seen it is um, uh, uh, actually uh, the caterpillar fungus is called winter worm summer grass because the caterpillar uh, hibernates in the winter, and while it's hibernating, while it's asleep, the the cordyceps fungus will germinate the spores, and then the mycelium will consume the caterpillar. And in the spring, in the summer, it will produce this little blade-like, little grass-like blade that is the fungus itself. And with these new, uh, with our cultivation now, we're actually just growing this little blade-like fungus. And so we have 100% pure cordyceps now at a very reasonable price. We we sell it uh, um, wholesale for uh, $70 a kilo. And given how tiny it must be to be a little blade on the top of a head of a tiny little caterpillar, yeah. I can imagine that, yeah, I can understand how expensive <laughs> it is. Yeah, no, it's true. It's and it's really interesting to see the the actual caterpillar fungus. It's it's a pretty interesting, um, I guess you call it herb with the caterpillar with the little blade on it. Very interesting. And and but at at twenty thousand dollars a kilogram, nobody really could afford to use it. And traditionally, what they did with that is somebody who was had a illness and they were coming out of the illness. They were weak. Um, fatigued, they would give them cordyceps, and that was one of the herbs that they used to help them come out of this illness. And and so because of that, when when you hear about cordyceps these days, a lot of people will say, "Oh, gee, that's used for um, endurance and athletics and and any kind of exercise." And so that's kind of the the role that it plays. Okay, um, but given that it's so expensive, is there a lot of fake cordyceps out there? Well, the thing about it is, is that that um, that caterpillar fungus it is super expensive, but um, that would never be in in the market that you would go into or anybody else in the West would go into. Most of that caterpillar fungus is uh, pretty much confined to Asian markets, okay. and and is there are are there Facsimiles, yes, of course. There, there's, you know, when anything's that valuable, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, painting a rock gold and saying, "Hey, I've got some gold here." No, there are there are facsimiles. There are there are uh, people out there that will try to sell counterfeit cordyceps, uh, but 
again, that's that's something where uh, a buyer has to be intelligent. And, and and besides, you know, none of my customers. In fact, I, I actually tried to introduce cordyceps into the the supplement market in the United States back in the '90s. And everybody I talked to, you know, what they told me? They said, they said, you know, no, 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 no. our 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 customers are not interested in eating insects. Right. <laughs> well, and they said they're, veget- they're vegetarians after all. They don't want to eat meat. So, is it were they getting confused, thinking that there was that they were eating caterpillars, or are they getting confused? Well, like, no, well, no, a little bit of mushroom that goes with it. No, the fact oh, is, is that <laughs> the fact is, is that 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 caterpillar fungus that the caterpillar was part of the herb. So that's what okay. was being sold, and and so. When when somebody said cordyceps, it was what they were talking about was the caterpillar with this little this little fungal blade growing off it. So so really nobody the West nobody in the West has ever has ever actually sold or consumed the the real caterpillar fungus. <clears throat> Because uh, I, I I thought that it was used a bit here, but maybe I'm getting confused with some something else. Or well, well, you in the meantime. Yeah, you know. Is there a different version to, of cordyceps that's commonly used? Well, there there is, and, and uh, what they've done out there is they've uh, oh, back in the '90s, back in the '90s in China they actually started to grow the mycelium of the cordyceps in large fermentation tanks and then they would which is a liquid and then they would take the liquid out and uh, remove the liquid and have pure mycelium and they called that cs4 and they did a lot of tests and showed that it was quite similar to um, the wildcrafted cordyceps so cs4 has been out there in the market for a long time but uh, you know, today with Cordyceps militaris, which is the true uh, fruiting body of the Cordyceps, we have access to that, and it is it is uh, um, well priced, and that's really what a person should be looking for these days is is actual Cordyceps militaris fruiting bodies. Okay, so I'm I'm thinking that the one that we use here in Australia is Cordyceps sinensis. Sinensis, that's the caterpillar fungus. Okay, and it but, says hyphae. What, what does hyphae mean? Hyphae, H-Y-P-H-A-E? Yep. Okay, that means uh, uh, mycelium. So okay. hyphae, hyphae actually um, are the individual strands or threads from a spore that's germinated, and when those hyphae come together, they will form a mycelium. Now, now... This this brings up a, a issue that I educate people about, and that is a lot of mushroom products out there, Allison, are actually not mushrooms at all. They are this mycelium. But what happens is companies grow the mycelium on grain. Mm. They grow it on they grow it on sterile grain, and then they harvest the myceliated grain, grain and all. So they do not remove the grain from the final product, and so. What happens is that the final product is a lot of starch from the grain. Oh, that's interesting. 
Well, yeah, it is, but but here's here's the issue. The issue is that that in the United States, nobody can produce a mushroom for supplement use because it's too expensive to do that. So, um, because if if you sell the mushroom for food use, you're selling it fresh, and you're getting five dollars a pound, uh, or or let's just say ten dollars a kilo. But then when you dry that out, the mushroom is ninety percent water. So now you have to get hundred dollars for that one dried kilo of that particular mushroom so oh yeah. economically economically it doesn't work and so so that's why for example what I do and what my company does is back at, as a mushroom grower I, I understood this a long time ago and I went to China in the 90s and I actually established contacts with mushroom growers in China and processors and so all of our our mushrooms are grown in China, mm-hmm. they're processed in China, and then we test them, and if they pass the test, we bring them over to to the United States to our warehouse, we test them again, and that's what we sell. We'll sell the mushroom powders, but but the issue, the issue is simply that it's very expensive to grow mushrooms, not so much in China, but it is very expensive to grow them for supplement use in Australia or Canada or the United States, so... So because of that, people will actually grow the mycelium stage and they will grow it on grain, which is very cheap to do. It's all done in a laboratory. And then, then they will dry it and grind the mycelium to a powder, but they won't remove the, the grain. And so what happens is that product is mostly starch. Ah. Oh, well, so, that's really, that's good to know. Well, so you know what? It's quite it, thorough then, don't you, we? You, well, you have to be very careful. And so if the product says made in the United States, you know that that's what it is. And if it says hyphae, if it says hyphae, then you know it's not the mushroom. Um, and if it says mycelium, you know it's not the mushroom. But a lot of companies will sell that product and call it mushroom when it's not really mushroom. And that's that's really the issue, the quality control issue that I try to educate people to, just so that they can make an educated decision when they go into the store and see like mm. 10 or 15 different mushroom brands. And you're like, okay. What do I do now? Yeah, of course. You know, one of the things that my company's been certified organic since 1992, and I totally believe in organic certification. I believe in organic food. I believe that if we can reach a, a space where we have chemical-free food, and not just our food, but the environment in general, all the chemicals that get sprayed around it is mm. quite alarming. And And, you know... It's it's uh, the same in China. It's quite alarming the the chemicals that they've used over there and the the pollution and the industrial uh, waste and so on. So one of the things that I did in China was in 1997 I took an organic certifier with me to China and we had the first organic certification workshop for mushrooms in China, 1997, and we had two dozen growers that came and they got on the path to certification. And today in China, there are tons of organically certified mushrooms that are being produced in China. And, and we're, these are being certified by, by high-quality German certifiers. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting because I just got back from China. And the reason we were over there in early September was to see reishi mushroom harvest because reishi a warm temperature, and the, that's the harvest season. And we drove way, way back up into the mountains to where this reishi farm was. I mean, literally to the end of the road. 
and we <laughs> we 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 toured this farm there and and it's just grown in a shade house they they bury these logs they they prepare these uh the grounds and they bury these logs that they've got the reishi mycelium growing on they bury them under under earth and then the mushrooms start to grow up out of that and it's just a beautiful sight but they do this way back in the mountains uh literally where the water is still clean and i i mean that it's like you know the water was clean but as you get further and further out of the mountains the water just sort of gets uh more and more cloudy which is so unfortunate and i feel mm -hmm. so bad about any country that has those kinds of conditions but where our mushrooms are grown it's it's so important for us that they are getting the right kind of uh, conditions to grow in and are not contaminated in any way that is so important for me and we test heavy metals we test microbiological panels uh, we test for pesticides and fungicides we don't sell anything unless they pass the test so mushrooms won't really like if, if they're grown in a completely sort of let's say sterile environment or a blank yep. slate they don't really yep. contain much nutrients themselves what they take on is from their growing medium so that could work in like negatively as well if they were grown in an area where there was quite a lot of heavy metals as well well no that that's absolutely right i mean i mean you certainly it's just like you know when you're growing mushrooms you're you're putting a lot of water on them so mm -hmm. they're definitely the mycelium is sucking in the water they're they're transporting the water to the mushrooms so if you have water that's high in arsenic your your mushrooms could be high in arsenic so you know and, and you know what that that's not a lot different than most plants i mean plants it'll be the same thing if you have crops growing in an area where you've got certain high metal content in there certain plants will pull up those particular minerals and will will have them inside their their plant body so that's pretty common for plants as well yes that's true yeah so how do people know that they're getting that good quality in, in their mushroom supplements? Oh, my goodness. It is so difficult. I can't tell you how difficult it is. You know what I would say? There's there's two ways that I would uh, uh, encourage people, what, what I encourage them to do. If you, if you have a mushroom product right now, well, well, open it up, open up the capsules or, or, or if it's already a powder, taste the powder. It should taste like a mushroom. If it's a reishi powder that you've got, it should be bitter. If it's shiitake, it should have this wonderful mushroomy shiitake flavor to it. So, <laughs> taste is really important. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that you can, I mean, for, for example, these products that I've told you about that are are myceliated grain, where they grow out the mycelium on grain and they don't remove the grain, they will taste very bland. They will taste almost sweet at times from all the grain that they're composed of. The, the other thing that you can do, which is really fun, is buy a small bottle of iodine at the, at the um, pharmacy. Um, and, and in your country, I forget what they call it, in the chemist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning these things from my Australian friends. Oh my goodness! Oh, that was was a good Two there. seconds. <laughs> are there any testing methods that are used to determine the quality of products? 
Well, and we, you know, one of our primary testing methods uh, that's a, more of a scientific take into the laboratory test is called a beta-glucan test, and we test all our products for beta-glucans. And like I said, the beta-glucan is in the mushroom cell wall, and it's the important medicinal compound. So we can tell right well, right away what the quality of a mushroom product is just by the level of beta-glucans. And in this test, the test actually also measures what are called alpha-glucans, and alpha-glucans are starches and and remember mushrooms don't have starch so if there's all if there's a high amount of, of alpha glucan in the product we know that the product is full of starch and oftentimes that's an indication that it's a myceliated grain product the way you test at home is to take get a bottle of iodine and put uh, a couple of capsules of your product in a quarter cup of water stir it up really good let it uh, sit in there for a little while, stir it up, and put 10 drops of iodine in. If there is starch in there, it will turn completely black. It's a beautiful test. It's called the iodine starch test. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, try it sometime, Allison. You, you'll just be shocked. And a real mushroom product, because it does not have starch, you can put the iodine in there, and there will be no change to black. It will just be the color of the iodine. <laughs> Okay, that, I will definitely be doing that. <laughs> so, what is your favorite mushroom? Well, my favorite mushroom is, is reishi, and, and that's the uh, mushroom that I, I really tuned into very early on because there's a lot of very interesting mythology around the reishi mushroom. It's, it's called a, a good fortune mushroom, so it's a definitely used for good fortune and also it's called the mushroom of uh, of longevity and long life so reishi was the was really my favorite and the way i utilize reishi is i put it in my coffee in the morning i like black coffee and reishi is bitter so i'll just put it in with my coffee in the morning and it's just another bitter note to that coffee and and uh, so that's how I use it and reishi is really used a lot in in uh, Asia as a tonic herb and it's often what people take as they age because uh, the immune system starts to slow down a little bit it's not nearly as as powerful as before so taking reishi when you're aging is a, a wonderful thing to do and so a lot of uh, older people will start to to supplement with reishi as they get into their 60s and 70s. So reishi is my favorite, and uh, it works really well for me. I really like it, and, and that's what I would. And if there's any one mushroom that I would recommend to anybody to take as a general tonic herb, I would say for sure. Yes, I love reishi as well, and I've I've done that before. I've put it in my coffee. It's probably a bit too bitter for me. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that it's bitter because that means you're you're getting a, a real reishi product, and that's important. Yes, yeah. Um, I also really like lion's mane. Ah. And I particularly like that for that sort of brain tonic activity that it seems to give. And you know, when you when you've had a baby, you, your brain doesn't work quite as well as it used to. So I really oh, need to yeah. try and get some of that back. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, that's much better tasting. Oh, so it, it is, in fact. And, and let me just ask you, how, uh, how much lion's mane do you normally consume in well, a day? I, I use the lion's mane liquid extract. And oh. I tend to take it sporadically, um, maybe about 5 to 10 mils when I feel like I need a little bit of a boost. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting. I know you've got some 
really fine herbalists down there. Uh, one company I've heard of is called Mycomedica, is it? And a man named Kerry Bone. Do you know him at all? Uh, yes, I, I know Kerry Bone. And it's, he's actually Mediherb. Mediherb, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's actually just started a, a new mushroom range as well. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. I, I've certainly read some of his stuff, and he seems like a very knowledgeable guy. Yeah, oh, he's he's amazing. <laughs> well, is there anything else that you'd like to cover or like to discuss before we wrap up? Well, you know what? I, I, I guess what I would say is, you know, I, I truly believe in the power of medicinal mushrooms. I think they're, they're um, a fantastic herb that people should become familiar with. I think people first should try to put mushrooms into their diet. Uh, in Australia, I know mostly you have the button mushroom there, which I, I used to grow on the farm that I worked on for 10, for 10 years. That's what we primarily grew was the button mushroom. It's a good mushroom. It actually has medicinal qualities of its own, but there are other mushrooms, great mushrooms like shiitake or enokitake or, or um, uh, lion's mane. I don't know if you get fresh lion's mane down there. Not Deal readily, but we do uh, have the others. Um, yeah, and, 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 and king oyster and king, um, king oh king oyster I love king oyster that is a, that is such a wonderful flavor it's just almost a little bit sweet it's a wonderful mushroom too so so that's what I recommend first of all I, I recommend that people put mushrooms in their diet to start with and then if they feel like maybe they'd like to try mushrooms for you know even uh, energy or uh, immune system. Um, issues then go ahead and, and and try some mushroom supplements and and see if those uh, work for you could be the lion's mane like you're saying for a little cognitive function or or it could be uh reishi maitake or turkey tail something like that for mm -hmm. immunologic effect but yeah that that's what i would recommend to people you know make mushrooms part of your world <laughs> oh, love it well that's a great way to to finish up so thank you so much for joining me <laughs> oh, it's been it's been my pleasure, and and I've enjoyed speaking to you, Allison, and listening to your your youngster there. It's yes. been really an interesting little musical behind the scenes. <laughs> she's she's normally really really happy, but um, I think I think there might potentially be a tooth on the way. Um, oh, yeah, but we'll see. Okay. Could be a leap. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I've, I've definitely enjoyed talking to you, and hopefully this will um, be really helpful for a lot of other people as well to listen to. So, thank you so much, and everyone, thanks for listening. If you want to subscribe, you can do so on iTunes. Um, search the Health and Wellbeing Podcast, and please leave us a review. So, thanks, Jeff. I'll see you later. Bye. All right, you're welcome, Allison. Bye.